Hello and welcome to the Aligned Leader podcast. I'm Daniel Jordi and I'm your host. And on the Aligned Leader, we feature some of the most cutting edge technology CEOs and digital executives in Switzerland in order to empower next generation entrepreneurs to cut their learning curve and in order to establish Switzerland as a global digital innovation hub. Welcome to the show today. Today, I have Tobias Hackermann on the show, who's the founder and CEO of Sherpany. And I'm very excited to talk to you. So I'm not going to you know, do, make a big intro right now because I think the story is the most interesting piece. So let's dive right into that. So Tobias, tell us a bit more. Who is Tobias and uh, what's the story that uh, got us to where we are today? Uh, good morning also from my side. Uh, nice to be here and nice to talk to you today. Um, my story. Well, my story, I would say it's, a, it's an interesting journey I had so far. I founded my first company when I was 18 years old uh, in the security area. Uh, started building that company up, uh, then went to the military service, uh, then started university, started to study. I actually did finish also my studies. Um, but statistically, still, that's, uh, that's the majority of entrepreneurs that, entrepreneurs that actually studied. But anyway, so I, I was studying. Um, then I merged the security company with another company, but stayed in the management board for still a while. Um, founded my second startup during studies in, you would call it today, legal tech. Uh, so uh, software-based and automated legal processes. Uh, did not work at all. Failed completely. Uh, shut it down after 18 months again and then by end of my studies I found the Sherpany and started building up Sherpany we were three co-founders when we started up today we are about 60 people um, uh, around the globe working on Sherpany and that's my story I love that I also love that you talk about the failures you know not just the successes and uh, I want to dive a little bit into that because I mean you know entrepreneurship you know, sort of the, the front stage is always, you know, the fun, the freedom and all, you know, the greatness and everything, which is a very big piece of it, you know, and you got to be very passionate about certain things in order to be an entrepreneur. Um, mm -hmm. But there's also, you know, um, the hard side behind it. There's lots of, you know, difficulties, failures, you know, hard times and hardship and things like that. So what what is the thing that gets you up in the morning and gets you keep going, you know, and you started at 18 with all of this and, you know, you just, you're still going, obviously you're still going pretty fast and pretty big, but there's not only good times. So what keeps you going in, in, in the tough times? I would say three things. Uh, one thing is of course the, the excitement of building up, um, of creating, um, and creating with people together. So I would say first and foremost important, I really like to, to build companies and to build teams and to see their successes, even though it takes a lot of bumping your head against the wall till you're there. But nevertheless, uh, to see then ultimately the successes, that's number one. Number two, I love to sell. Sales is probably the best uh, thing that happens and that you can do it's interesting because if you talk in switzerland and uh, you talk to people and say you know what i'm a sales guy then they're like oh my god how can it be and then i say you know what have you ever done sales no i would never yeah that's why you don't understand what's cool about it i mean it's i think it's the job where you have the fastest possible return on whether you did great or you didn't so you have an immediate impact an immediate kick 
from the first cold call where you have within two minutes, you know whether you screwed up or you did well. Uh, when you do a pitch, you know it in 45 minutes. Um, when you actually uh, get close, get closer to closing a deal, um, it's also you have like one, two calls regarding negotiation on pricing and contracts. If you do one single mistake along pricing, you're just going to be screwed. So uh, that's uh, I think this immediate kick you have. It's it's uh, an awesome thing, and that's something probably also which is what is special about Sherpany is that we have um, a very strong sales DNA. We even had for a certain times we, or for a certain period in time, we nearly lost our product DNA. We we're so much sales driven that we lost product DNA. Not a good thing to do. Um, if you're a product company, you have to make sure that at its core, the product is still your core competences. But uh, yeah, it's definitely one that the, the second thing I love uh, a lot. And the third thing I would say is culture um, or let's put it different. It's my, my per personality of challenge in the enterprise world. I, I have troubles to accept that things just are the way they are because um, I really want to understand why it is and why, especially when people say it cannot be different, that's, a big motivation for me to prove that it can be different. Um, and that's sometimes good, but sometimes not so good because along the way, I also learned that reasonably a reasonable amount of things have been proven to be good and actually don't need to be challenged. But on the other hand, there are some things that can be challenged and then it's nice to challenge and prove that it can be different. So I would say that, that these are the most, the three things that motivate me every day. There's quite a rebellious Swiss guy there on the other side. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, not my, it's not often that I talk, you know, you're Swiss, I'm Swiss. It's not often that I talk to, to a Swiss who says I love sales. And you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm a little uh, bit like that as well. You know, I love sales, but for certain reasons, right? I mean, sales, there's been just painted this picture of evil, you know, sales is evil and all that, you know, crap around it, I guess. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to stay on that topic just for a second there about sales because there's certain things that you believe sales to be that makes you love sales. So in your perspective, what is sales? If you have to paint the picture of sales, what, what is sales? I think at, at core sales is the, the, the profession of helping to choose and supporting choices. That's, that's the ultimate thing. Just yesterday, we uh, or yeah, well, yesterday I had a talk with with some sales guys. We had uh, three sales guys starting here at Jeopardy uh, two weeks ago, and we always for the first two weeks we have a sales training program. So we learn from how to sell anything, like a watch, like a pen, like whatever, to how do you create a value story, how do you do investigation, uh, pitching training, cold calling training. Uh, how do you do pricing? How do you negotiations and so on? So we have for all these different parts of a block. Uh, a block. And then we said we were coming to yesterday. Uh, I, I talked with them about USPs. So it was like, what is a USP? Then when you talk about USPs, normally you say, yeah, you know, our product we have this and this feature that is unique, or we have this and this service that is unique. And I was like, uh, that's not a USP. That might be a selling proposition. 
but not the unique selling proposition. Um, and then I said, okay, what are the unique selling propositions of Sherpany? Um, and then I said, you know, we have something that is a unique selling proposition, something that comes out of your DNA. It's that something that is in your DNA of your company that no one else can have. It's much more about your company as a, or you as a vendor than the product you're selling. So we, we, we have three main USPs. We have an elegance in design. Everything we did so far is extremely elegant. Uh, I don't know why, but that's, that's how it is. Uh, something that every, everyone, everyone who's buying Sherpany is saying, that's special about you. Um, is this a feature? Is this a functionality? Is it even a benefit? No, it's not, but it's a uniqueness. Second part, um, as we go, as we grow international, it's Swissness. Swissness is in our DNA. So people are just, that's quality, that's precision, uh, that's reliability, confidentiality, and so on. But Swissness, also something coming out of our DNA. And just the third part is USB, I said, is uh, our USP is we are the underdog. We are in the number five in the global market. So out of our DNA, because we are number five, we have to fight harder and do it better than everyone else. That's a USP for every customer because he knows that we're going to fight harder because we have to. And the biggest one don't have to. That's just reality. That's not a USB. It's not, this, this happens over uh, this part of our DNA. And then we talked about, okay, competition. And then we were like, yeah, USP is something that makes us unique and better than the others. And then I was, I was trying to explain that's not true. It's completely not true. A USP is something that makes you different from the other. So for example, Director's Desk from NASDAQ uh, is a competitor of ours. So I said, you know what? When you pitch to a customer and you talk about USPs, you can talk about USPs of your competitors too. They have clear USPs. For example, NASDAQ, Director's Desk is one product out of 100 in their corporate solution. So their USP is, you know what, if you're a listed company, you get everything you need out of one hand. And that's fair enough. And you don't even have to diminish it. It's a great USP for NASDAQ. But on the other hand, that also, it's one out of 100 products. They're not focused on one specific use case. They're focused on making sure you get everything out of one hand. And like that, you can actually really enable the customer to take his right choice. You can show, you know what? Fair enough. If you want to go with the biggest, if you want to go everything out of one hand, if you want to cover your ass, fair enough. We're the wrong one. If you want to have the, the best service because we have to fight for it, if you, if you want an elegant design, if you want Swissness, then go with us. So that was for me really trying to show, you know what, USPs are, um, are not just on the topic of USPs. It was about actually really enabling the customer to take the right choice. And of course, if you're a great salesperson, you know how to play this game, then they ultimately choose you. But it's enabling them to choice. It's not trying to make them uh, choose because you pressure them, or it's not even trying to actually take the choice for them. It's making sure that they go through the process and actually can do the choice. I find it so interesting because you're not living in this illusion like many others who say, well, these are sort of like our USPs or our USP and, you know, and then everybody is our potential customer. Like everybody out there is, you know, our potential market and something. You understand that. And I think that's why you're talking about DNA. You understand that DNA is unique, right? It's completely mm -hmm. unique. There's no other DNA like mine out there, like yours out there. It, 
doesn't exist. So if that would be true for a company as well, and it is because you are a big part of the company. A company is nothing else than a collection of people, you know, working together towards a similar goal. And what is people? Well, people is DNA at the end of the day, right? So that right. means an organization is unique as well if we go there. And I find that really interesting because when you say, when you talk about choice in terms of sales, many people look at sales in terms of persuasion and, you know, and things like that. I don't really like to go there too much because what you, what you talked about is more in, in terms of decision saying, okay, let, let me help you make a decision if we are the right ones or not. And both may be valid choices. Yes or mm -hmm. no, maybe both valid, you know, it's mm -hmm. just a matter of figuring it out. And, uh, I find that really interesting. That way I, you know, uh, it's like another interesting part there. It's like I had probably, I did about a hundred, maybe probably more interviews already with candidates for sales. And my first question is always to say, sell me something. I put something on the table and sell me that. Um, actually, it's my second question, sorry. My first question is always, what is most important in sales? And I would say nine out of 10 answers are listening. Then I put something on the table and I say, sell me that. And what happens next is the next five minutes, this person is gonna talk for four minutes and 59 seconds. So he's not listening at all. He's not even answering one single question or asking one single question. So reality is that we have a huge gap between the theory, what is sales, asking question, doing investigation, making the pain chain, understanding the pain, showing the implication, then come to the solution. And when you ask people, even professionals, to apply it, what happens is they jump to the solution and tell you features of your product. It's also, this is, it's, it's funny, and that's what, I think that's the, 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 the main problem or also the main rejection we have out of natural against sales. It's that even if we look at theory and if we do it as it's theory, it's a beautiful thing to do. In reality, we are confronted nine out of 10 times in sales that it's someone that is just talking to me and that's it. And that's 10% is explaining what you're actually offering. And 90% is all the process before, uh, which is actually making sure that he can take the right choice, that he understands what is his problem, what are the implications and so on. Um, so I think we are really, really lacking um, the sales competences here. And uh, what was interesting I had another talk um, about the startup scene and uh, what is needed in the startup scene. And we are always, there are all courses out there and we're always talking, first it was seed money, then it was investors. How do you get investors? Then it's about, currently it's the hot topic, it's we need to have growth funds for later stage and so on. And I find it very interesting, let's say, or even maybe sometimes a bit frightened that topic sales does not appear at all. Uh, and we have, a, we have, and that's just reality, we have a bad sales culture. We don't have a sales culture. It's like, it's not something, if you study at university and you're the best graduate, it's not like, I'm going to get be sales. It's not like, I have to be the best graduates that are going to be the sales. It's like, if you cannot do anything else, you're going to be telesales. And that's like so wrong. It's so wrong because ultimately, I mean, yes, get some fundings and investors. But you know what? What's better? Get customers. I mean, 
ultimately you need to get customers. And so I find it interesting that knowing that we have this cultural issue, we don't address it in the startup scene, um, which is ultimately the DNA to actually grow. Because maybe, especially for everyone out of uh, biotech and pharma, because for pharma biotech, it's something else, it's building and then sales is going to be someone, it's going to do someone else. It's going to be the, the pharma company that buys the company ultimately. But I think if we want to really end, and I think when it comes to, to the question, why don't we have like superstars in Switzerland? It's not, I would very much disagree that it's the funding problem. I would very much go for the sales problem. Yeah, I would, I, I would very much agree with that. I also wouldn't say, well, there's, there's too little money in Switzerland. I wouldn't really agree with that. Um, but, you know, and on the sales topic, it's just one quick thing more about that. I think it's more about personality than anything else in terms of what you're, what you're talking about in terms of sales. It's, it's because you look, you look at, you know, superstars, what you just mentioned, right? I mean, they're not your average salesperson, really, that you, you know, you, you go to a used car, you know, uh, a lot and you want to buy a car there the average salesperson you know that's kind of like the picture that most people have and uh, what I find interesting in terms of sales or in terms of personality in terms of visionaries in terms of people who can just simply stand up and sell they don't even try to sell they just simply sell um, it's 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 partly partly DNA it's partly um, you know training I guess and uh, I, I you, would, you wouldn't agree with that no so tell me about that no. Uh, there's a saying, um, if you want to be world-class, it takes 10 hours, 10,000 hours of training. You're not going to be used and bold, but you're going to be world-class. If you train 10,000 hours for a hundred meter running, you're going to be world-class. So I would say, yes, you need the DNA to be at, within world-class, to be used and bold and be the fastest. This is something that is in your DNA. To be part of world-class, 10,000 hours of training and you're there. And that's no matter what. Mm. We have great engineers in Switzerland, for example. ETH is producing lots of great engineers. Are they all engineers by talent? Are they all engineers by DNA? I would completely disagree. It's part of a culture that we say that's something worthwhile training for. And then we have lots of people training for and we build a world class in this area. Banking, maybe it came a bit, it, it has a, a bit a, an image problem lately, but in general, if we look at it, we said it's a great thing. We invested a lot into universities, into training, unit, yeah, trainings, um, a, a training environment, and we just trained bankers to be good bankers. It's not, they didn't born, it's not like in Switzerland, there are more bankers born than in Germany or in any other country in the world. It's about what is our self-understanding. And we all sell, yeah, yeah, US, US people or US are naturally good salespeople. That's not true. I, I, I disagree with that. It's in, their, it's, it's in their culture and they train for it. They train early when they're kids, they already learn you have to sell. If you, if you want to get a banana, make sure you do the sales pitch right. You want to get a chocolate, make sure you have to do the sales pitch right. That's it. Try to explain your dad why a banana will help you. Mm. If he understands it, he will take the right choice and will buy you a banana. If you do it with mal, if you do it not good, he's not going to take the right choice. You're not going to get a banana. That's it. 
Yeah. So. Yeah. It's definitely part of the culture. I agree with that. I, I like the distinction there between DNA and culture very much. Um, now I want to switch a little bit into the present. Um, so you've been, you know, you've been crowned as one of the fastest growing companies in Switzerland or the fastest growing company in Switzerland for, for a while. Um, and, uh, I just, I just wanted to, um, understand kind of more about where you stand right now and, and, and what is most exciting right now for you in, in, in that time of growth and expansion and, and what's happening all around. Um, I think these are two things. Uh, one again, sales, <laughs> building, building also an international uh, sales crew. Um, we are also currently searching for a head global head uh, global sales. So really to build up not just a sales organization in Switzerland, but really building up how do you scale a sales organization and how do you keep the this DNA and this excitement for sales because it's not just in Switzerland but it's in all Europe. Uh, in general, it's sales is not something you go for, um, or it's it's challenging also to get great talents, uh, generally naturally great talents, excited about sales. Um, I think we do that quite well until now, but it's going to be a challenge to scale that up and keep this DNA and make sure that everyone who is doing sales at Japan is proud of being a salesperson. And I always say it's uh, my goal is when you start at Chirpany at sales, you do your sales training and you're six months here at sales and someone asks you on the street, what are you doing? You're going to say, I do sales. You're not, you're not going to say I do business development or I do whatever geographical expansion or you do sales. I want that people are proud of being sales. Uh, second part, which is really exciting is currently that um, we are looking also how can we grow internationally. We're also looking into M&A opportunities where we could buy a company. And I think that's also something that recently happened in my mind, uh, a bit challenging the enterprise world. When we were thinking about that, I, when I was talking to people you know, or to, to, to investors, to board members and so on, in generally, it's, it's all the mindset is the other way around. The mindset is exit. The mindset is you're going to sell. And then I said, why, why, why is it all, all, only the other way around? And then I was, there was a, yeah, you are the smaller one. You're the underdog. And then I was like, yeah, and, and I mean, why shouldn't you be able to take over a five times bigger company? If you just do it better, if you have a, if you have a good story, why not? Uh, so that's something that really excites me also. It's like thinking, thinking the other way around. It's not, it's not like it's one way street. You build a company and then you sell and that's it. No, you can also say, no, if, if there, if there are sellers, there are buyers. So <laughs> why, why only thinking being on one side, but also be on the other side. I, I love that. It's a very interesting way of looking at it because uh, you're fully right. Um, and not only in Switzerland, you know, even in Silicon yeah. Valley and many other places, that's kind of like the way things are looked at um, because that's the way it's always been. Now, yeah, but if you look at the big ones, I mean, Salesforce started their M&A program four years after incorporation. And they're not that small right now. <laughs> Right. <laughs> very true. Very true. 
Now, I mean, one topic we talked about last time was meeting, meeting culture. So uh, talk to me about meeting culture. I mean, this is a big thing that you guys are working on transforming. It's a, it's a personal passion of yours, a personal mission yeah. of yours. Talk to yeah. me about that. Meeting culture is this one here. Make sure you don't waste time with meetings. Um, definitely, it's, it's our mission to turn meetings into value creators and stop them being time wasters. I think there's a, there's a huge challenge when I talk to leaders from large corporations till small corporations, till startups. Uh, the meeting is since decades it's the most often used leadership tool and it's our default leadership tool. So whenever we have a problem, let's meet and discuss. Whenever we don't know what to do, let's meet and discuss. Whenever we want to know, do we do progress? Let's meet and discuss. If we have a project that is stuck somewhere, let's meet and discuss. So we always meet and discuss. And then I was like, okay, I mean, there's nothing wrong with meeting and discussing. But why, why is it that if you then talk to leaders or managers, they also claim meetings to be the biggest time consumer, the biggest time wasters? That's like, fuck, I, uh, 50%, 60% of my agendas are just meeting. 80% of my uh, agenda is just meetings. And I, it's hard to get my job done or to get my work done also. And then you say, the third part is like, you say, okay, Close your eyes. Imagine you have a week without meetings. How does it feel? And 99 out of 100 people say, oh, wonderful. So there is something wrong. There is something wrong. If, it's, if, it's, if it would be really a, the right tool to use, you would like it, right? You, it would, you would say, you would close your eyes and say, that's the best way I can do my work. So it's an efficient way, you know, but it's not. So, somehow it's not. So, so that's where we came in and said, okay, what, what is actually the problem? And the, the interesting part that that came from, a, from, a Harvard, from the Harvard Business Review, I stopped the meeting madness, which is also our mission. <laughs> um, they went in and said, okay, what is actually the problem? And they, they realized that we have this, this problem between group time and individual time. So when you meet together for one hour, 10 people, you invest one hour of group time. So when then managers walk away, people walk away, and the meeting was inefficient. Explicitly, we can formulate that we lost one hour. But implicit reality is that we lost 10 individual hours. And we never think about this opportunity cost of the individual hours. So we always think, if I have one hour of meeting, we believe that either this hour is efficient or not, but we don't value it against individual time. And why, one reason why this accelerates this problem of actually that meetings are perceived as being time wasters is that with all the digital transformation, with all the tools we have, we got way more efficient in our individual time, in using our individual time. So, but we didn't get more efficient in our group time. So in our meeting times. So this gap between what I believe I can do in one hour of my individual time versus what we did in one hour group time. 
this gap gets the longer the bigger. And that's actually the, the reason for why you believe or why you feel like these were time wasters. Because you believe that I could have done way more work when I would have gotten these individual hours rather than using the group hours. How to solve the problem? Well, we have to do three things. If you want to solve a big challenge or a small challenge, no matter. If you want to solve a corporate challenge, you need to do three things. You need to have the right infrastructure. That's what we do with our software. Nowadays, infrastructure, I would say 99%, it's always IT, it's, it's software. So we have infrastructure. We need to have or change the organization. So the frameworks, how do we do it? What are the processes? And we need to change the culture, people. So make sure that they know how to use it and they apply it. I always take as, as an example, uh, individual um, traffic. In the individual traffic, you have infrastructure, which are streets, lights, and so on, cars. You have a law that says we are driving right, not left. That says we are stop before pedestrians, and so on. And we have uh, driving schools. So you actually, that's culture. You learn how to drive, and then you actually make an exam how to drive. So transforming that to actually solving the meeting madness, we have to de deliver the right infrastructure, which, is, which we do with Sherpany. You have to build a framework which is fitting the organization. What is the framework we do meetings? Like, good example is Amazon. Amazon did, Jeff Bezos introduced this meeting culture, which is, a very, which is across the entire company the same. So that makes that the meetings get really efficient. And the third part is... Uh, the training. Make sure that everyone that starts at your company knows and trains how to do a meeting, how to be a meeting participant, how to be a meeting leader, and somehow makes an exam. And then you make sure that he knows. And then you can put him in the organization to make sure that this cultural change actually happens. And that's where we're working on. Um, we do a very good job, I would say, in the infrastructure uh, part. We have a good product that helps really supporting the entire meeting process. We do quite some things in, in the framework part to say, okay, what is a good, how do you adopt your framework? Most of the companies don't even have a meeting framework. And the third part, there we still need to learn a bit. How do we do cultural education? That we actually build the right educational tool for a company to ultimately change their meeting madness. But it all starts, it's, it's interesting. I mean, uh, I had a couple of workshops with Swissry about that. And it's like everywhere at Swissry, you do a, everywhere where you do a workshop, the result is tremendous that they lose, they waste a lot of time. Most of their employees say, you know what? It's like for the first half year I was working here, I had the full day packed with meetings at a night I did my work. I mean, it's like not good. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I find, I find that really, I mean, I find that interesting because uh, you know, meetings, I mean, I come from the corporate world. I spent 10 years in the corporate world. I know the madness, you know, the meeting madness. Um, and even in my own organization, I sometimes know the meeting madness. Um, and I guess there's also different types of meetings. You know, there's, there's internal, external, there's, there's different, you know, types of meetings that um, you also mentioned before that, you know, some, some are by design more efficient. Others are usually more of a time waster because there's lots of tools that can come in that can, 
structure things and thoughts and, and ideas and discussions in the right way and, and channel them in the right way so that when people do actually get together, then stuff can happen versus, mm -hmm. you know, there's just a long process that can be solved before. And yeah. uh, in terms of culture, um, just on that topic, I mean, I find it really interesting because Stop the Meeting Madness is, I, lo I love the mission itself and it's not, it's not a small thing, you know, it's a, it's a long-term, large-scale vision and mission, basically. And with everything like that, there's always the large educational piece that comes with it. If you're the underdog and if you're, you, know, you need to educate the market and everything, there's always you know, challenges that come with that. So on, on, on a culture level, where do you see um, this? I mean, do you see that lots of work is already done like outside of the organization? I mean, in other organizations, in, 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 in trainings and teachings and you know, in, in leadership development and things like that. Do you see that? Is already a change happening or anyway, you know, in, in culture or is it just like it was 20 years ago? Mm, I don't see, currently I don't see a big change actually happening, not yet. I think the problem gets, gets, gets hard, uh, bigger and bigger and the market or many companies start realizing that it is a problem. Um, I think on terms of education, we're still lagging. I mean, there are, the longer the more I see articles writing, as mentioned, Business Harvard Review wrote about four times already about the meeting problem. And McKinsey, for example, is, read, is writing about it. Um, so you actually see that that there is also some sort of, of discussion going on how what is actually the problem and how to solve it. Um, in terms of cultural change, I think what, what still happens is we have this... Um, we have this fraction of, I would say, leaders that somehow got it how to do efficient meetings. And they get far. They get very far, but we have no structured way on educating, for example, middle management also. Normally, when you look at top management, I would say at least five out of ten um, know how to run a good meeting because they did it so often and they got stressed themselves so often that somehow they were just trying out and until they found the, their way on doing efficient meetings. Um, but I think that's a very inefficient way to do it as a corporation. So uh, I think there's a big step still needed or what we have to do is actually also learning that this is something that we have to learn and we have to train. And it's interesting. I mean, if you look at corporations, the entire company, the bigger the company, 30, 40% of the entire workforce time is spent in meetings. But we don't invest any time in meeting education, nor, nor in school, nor at university, nor at interns, nor at training programs when you come into an organization. So we actually know it's something that is used a lot and consumes a lot of time, but we don't do anything to actually get better um, in our education. So from a business perspective, um, if I have, if it's company, if I really want to use my time effectiveness, uh, effective, and that's what Amazon did ultimately is make sure everyone who comes in knows after the second week, who, who is after the second week in the company knows how to run a meeting and how meetings are structured. And I wouldn't say there is a, uh, there is one recipe that works for all. So these are individual recipes for companies, but you need to have your, your meeting recipe that is then the same. Because the moment you have also a standard in meetings in a company, meetings get automatically reduced by 
Mm, very, very interesting. Now I want to quickly shine because the light. Also, if, if, if everyone knows how a meeting is going to happen, it's like, you know, it's automatically, you're way faster. Everyone knows how it's going to start. Everyone knows how you have to be prepared. Everyone knows when it's going to end. Everyone knows there is always going to be a purpose. There's always going to be a clear agenda. There's always going to be a clear time set. We're always going to end 10 minutes before time. So there are little things you can do, but the moment you do it systematically, they have a huge impact. So quickly tell me about this. Um, so Sharpani, you're the CEO. Things are growing crazy fast. How, do you, how, how are you the CEO and still stay sane in such a fast-growing environment? And how does, that, how does meeting culture impact that? Uh, for me, it's uh, three things. First, reduce meetings. Um, but I wouldn't call that really culture. That's just something you should do anyway. I mean, make sure that meetings are valuable. So first thing, make sure that the fewer participants, the better. So we really try to make sure only the ones that really help to something or have to contribute are participating. And everything else is out. Second, always a very clear goal and clear agenda. You know why you talk and what's the goal. What needs to be the outcome of the meeting? And then third, and that's actually going along with the outcome. Once the outcome is reached, stop the meeting. Because what happens is normally when a meeting is set for 30 minutes, Ideally, it takes 29 minutes, most often 30 minutes, often also 35 minutes. Sometimes you reached actually your conclusion after 10 minutes and you just, yeah, well, it's 30 minutes. It, it's like subconscious. You don't do it on purpose, but it's like you're just going to talk the next 20 minutes for blah, whatever. I don't know. Uh, or you're going to re-talk about the same thing again just to fill up the time. Um, and how we did that? we really started celebrating the time you get back when you start, stop a meeting earlier. So when you stop a meeting, when a meeting is scheduled for 30 minutes, you stop it after 22 minutes. The last sentence you're going to say is, we stopped, we get everyone eight minutes time back. I wish you a great day. And by that, you start incorporating that getting time back Stopping a meeting earlier is something positive. It's not something negative. Canceling a meeting. If you cancel a meeting because you realize it's not needed anymore, the last sentence you're going to write is, I canceled the meeting. We got eight hours back for everyone. So make sure that you realize this is something good. It's good to stop a meeting earlier, to cancel a meeting if it's not needed, and so on, because you get everyone time back. I love that. I mean, that, that, was a, that was a very interesting set of golden nuggets around meetings and how to run meetings and meeting culture, I guess. So, you know, thank you so much for, you know, the insights on your story on what's happening right now on this stop the meeting, man. It's, I find it very fascinating. So thank you so much for being on the show. Wonderful. Thank you very much. Take care. Have a great day and get some time back. Thanks for listening to The Aligned Leader. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so you get full access to all the newly released episodes every Wednesday. Do you have any topics that you would like us to cover? Then send us an email to daniel at leadersbridge.org and we'll work on it. And if you'd like to learn more about our initiatives, for example, like the CEO Collaboration Day, head over to leadersbridge.org.